0: Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, and welcome to the latest episode of steps and Discussion. Today, I've got the great pleasure of being joined by photographer Lewis Bush. Good morning, Lewis.
1: Hi, Ewan. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, thank you for your time on this uh, lovely Saturday morning. Um, great to be able to chat to you about your work, photo books, photo zines, and, and where you're going forward now. Um, but before we get into talking about your work, it'd be great if you could just give everyone a, a quick introduction to your, your photographic journey background.
1: Sure, it was a completely twisted uh, journey into photography. Like I never planned to be a photographer. Um my parents have both worked in the arts in various ways. And I think although they were very encouraging that like, yep. I could do whatever I wanted, didn't exactly encourage me to go into the arts having grown up with like no money for most of my childhood. <laughs> um but actually, yeah, so I went I studied history originally um and I kind of dabbled with photography at the same time and then I went and worked um kind of in international development I was still dabbling with photography and I got kind of sick of that and I came back to London and I thought oh maybe I'll you know I'll give it a whirl so um I did an MA I did the MA that I until recently actually was now running uh, which is kind of weird um (laughs) but also quite fun um and yeah and then just kind of last 10 years or so I've just been working away on my photography practice and um kind of trying out different things and um, you know I think initially especially just trying to work out what motivates me as a photographer and what I wanted to make work about some people know that from the work go yeah but for me it was more of a gradual uh, kind of like making projects looking back over them and trying to find what's connected them and then kind of probably about four or five years ago kind of finally realizing you know there's this kind of theme of um, looking at different Different kind of powerful organizations or people or technologies. And that's the kind of that's the glue, I guess. Because my projects, if you look at them, they all look very different. Like I'm not interested in the idea of being a photographer with a recognizable single style or single technique that I use. Um so it's easy, I think, to look at them and not really see the connection if you're focused on the the kind of surface, the visual surface of them but underneath that there's always this interest in again power in various forms so um yeah that, that pretty much brings me up to where i am now
0: <laughs> indeed yeah quite 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 a quite a very quite a varied journey quite an interesting journey going kind of into it back out of it and then and then i suppose coming full circle back to back to where you are now as well um, and i know certainly from from looking at your work online I, as you say you very very correctly it's like when you look at it from a visual perspective everything everything is very varied there is no real there's not what i think many people would view as being a, as, as a common theme common trait through the work but yeah in terms of the visual visual perspective actually but yeah in terms of the story underneath there is that common theme um, i know obviously i my, i talk a lot about photo books and photo scenes and, and you are quite a prolific publisher you published a number of books and also and also a number a number of zines so how how do you kind of begin to to think about the projects that you're going to work on
1: um yeah I mean there's always I, I mean I'm always a bit impatient like when I have a student who says I don't have any ideas <laughs> for what I want to make work about because I mean usually the problem for me is there's like a there is like a list of things that I want to do and I mean, actually, I've basically got a thing on my wall that maps out the things I want to work on for the next ten years. So like, you know, it's like blind. I mean, well, we'll see how well I stick to that. But I mean, I think <laughs> for me, there's always stuff there that I want to make work about. And the question is more like a prioritization. You know, what should I do now, or yes. what wait? Um, and also that thing of what. What um kind of forms different projects might suit so some projects are like really obviously like a book project or a zine project. Yeah. some of them make no sense whatsoever to be in that kind of format. So yeah. you know often quite early on there's that kind of weighing up, um, although again that decision often also is one that gets made as the work is being made because sometimes you know the work, takes a different a change in direction or you know it turns out to be quite a different project the one it seemed to be at the beginning um or sometimes you want to reach a different group of people you know i mean publications that i love making zines and books but they also have very like specific audiences um so you know if you're only ever making them you're also only ever accessing those those groups of people and sometimes that's not the group you want to talk to so um yeah so the projects just kind of evolve and um know sometimes also actually there's talking about like zines and books as these two different things sometimes also you're working on a project and you kind of think actually yeah so actually often what i do with a project even one that seems like it's going to be quite a big one is to start off thinking about it as a zine and maybe even experiment with doing it as a zine cool to see almost if it works at that scale like it's really like a maquette like a really minimal version And if it works at that scale, sometimes then you think, okay, well, maybe actually it, there's more to it than I can fit in a zine so it grows into something bigger. But like with a lot of the zines that i published, these projects, you know, you could have escalated them into books and sometimes they were projects mm. that I talked to publishers about and the publishers were like, you know, can you just produce a hundred more images for this project and then we could do a book of it. <laughs> but I really, I think a lot of b- photo books, to be honest, kind of basically like overstay their welcome um you know like way too many i see that i think actually this would have been like an amazing small publication yeah would have been so genius and instead it's been blown up into something bigger than it needed to be and so like with a lot of the scenes i've done they're that kind of project they're a project that i just don't think would have been interesting to do something bigger but at least to me as a small publication they don't they don't kind of hopefully overstay their welcome you know I think you yeah. want to finish looking at something and feel like, I wish there was another 10, 20, 100 pages to that, You know, not the other way around.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I know what you mean. You quite often come across some, some books that are maybe 120 pages and you think if it had been 60 or 70 pages, actually the intensity would have been greater. There would have been, a, there'd have been a whole different feeling to it. Um, but at the same time, there's something actually really quite nice about looking through a small publication, be it a zine or just a nice small compact book there's maybe got 15 or 20 images that leaves you wanting more and actually there's a lovely feeling about that because you can always go and maybe try and find some there's maybe some new work that's been added online but actually yeah the the publication aspect of it is is just a beautiful size and while there might be a a bigger body of work there there's quite possibly a very valid reason for having a small a small publication and i think also is that it allows accessibility to far more both publish both. publishing a book of a hundred images or 80 90 images is a big expense both. one for one for a photographer artist to to go through but also two for someone to to invest in the work whereas actually picking up a picking up a beautiful zine <laughs> it's it's a uh, it, it's 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 accessible to, it's accessible to the masses and yeah i'm just i'm just I've just uh, picked up an antique land, which was one of the recent ones I picked up along with the uh, or a uh, Peckham Gothic. Um which are beautiful bod- beautiful bodies of work. And I, I really I I love the I I love in an antique land just the the how, how you've looked at some of some architecture and some buildings in terms of what they may look like in in uh, as, as the population leaves and it's one of these things i can, i can imagine you could you could probably continue producing more and more work looking at it but actually it's it's a really lovely size and i think it really it is really very powerful and really interesting whereas if you you could probably produce 200 images of this sort of thing but then how much repetition and and do you begin to lose the the, the focus and, and and the attention um, so i think yeah there's there's a real a real knack to knowing what,
1: what the balance level is. And I mean, those are two interesting like examples for you to pick out. Cause I mean, also I think, as you said, so yeah, one of the great things about zines is that accessibility. So like I sell a lot of zines to students, you know, to photography students who aren't necessarily going to, you know, like drop 40 quid on a book, but yeah. actually to spend a fiver on a zine is, you know, much more like, okay, that's fine. It's not very much. Um, but those two you picked out are also interesting because, you um, they also represent the thing that, you know, you can make zines for very different, for quite specific reasons, if you like. So um, Peckham Gothic yep. originally was literally just made to irritate my mother because so, <laughs> it's basically <laughs> pictures. I So I, I really struggle. I find portrait photography really difficult and I find the better you know someone the harder it is yeah and so although I've taken loads of pictures of my mum I hate all of them and she also doesn't like them very much <laughs> and she always says oh you make well she always used to say you make me look like a sharecropper you know like one of the sharecroppers in the FSA yep. archive you know from uh, the US in the 30s during the depression and so I kind of I she said this so often to me that it kind of irritated me so I decided to make the zine that was meant to make her life look like something out of the FSA. And so, you know, that's a zine that originally I only made about three copies, one of them for her to basically as a joke, you know. <laughs> and ironically, now that zine's actually in the Library of Congress in the US, <laughs> which really <laughs> irritates her because it's like hopefully now going to be there forever. But yeah, there's there's and, no getting away from it. Yeah. Exactly. But I mean, so you know, you can make a zine for such you could you know you make a zine for like an audience of one person very feasibly. Yeah. Um and then like an antique land, uh, yes, yeah, you say, I played around with the idea that that might've been a longer project, but, you know, so it's kind of an experimental project because it's using um, neural networks to like remake these in, these familiar landmarks as they would be after kind of, yeah, the collapse of civilization. Jeez. So they're all overgrown and um, kind of decaying. And again, I just like, I didn't know who would be interested in it. I just did it because I was, I was interested in it. So. You know, to do that as a zine, it's quite feasible to print like 50, 100 copies and then just see if anyone buys it. As you say, very rightly, you know, with a book, it's it's much more of a kind of risk in a sense. It's not really usually commercially viable to print like 100 books. You're going to print at least 500 plus probably. So, yeah, again, zines just they give you this flexibility. I think that other printed formats don't necessarily, you know, they're very nimble things.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I think it's great, and I think there's a there's a very there's a great growing Zine community as well, particularly with uh, rightly or wrongly with like online printing that that's now now well quite well established, particularly in the UK. Mm. It, it makes it accessible for many photographers to publish small short runs of 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 their own work, which otherwise would probably never see. Uh, never see printed format how how do you kind of approach the zines when, when you come to make them and i suppose you're quite focused in terms of the size and the scale of it so i'm interested just to, to understand how you maybe approach slightly different projects
1: yeah um i mean like in terms of the size and stuff my feeling about books is um i actually don't really like structurally like physically complicated books Mm -hmm. to me part of the fun of doing a book is to work within the constraints of if you imagine a very stereotypical book that's just you know a series of pages of the same size with no kind of weird inserts or cutouts although you know i sometimes come across a book that's like Mm -hmm. that that i really like (laughs) for me part of the fun and challenge of making books is taking that very you know in a way prosaic container and then finding ways to do things in it that may be a bit unexpected and so I actually I tend to use exactly the same format for my zines it's either a5 or a4 yeah you know um although there are exceptions so like I've done zines where there's been some kind of like hand finishing like um I did a zine where the front covers were all kind of cut out so I had to like sit at home with you know a box of 100 zines sitting there (laughs) patiently cutting them all out um so, yeah, I mean, it's it's both a kind of case of like seeing what the project seems to require, but then also for I me mean, working within those constraints. And I think, you know, I've, I really feel that like um, less choice is often better than too much choice. I see, I see it all the time, again, in teaching that if you give people a lot of choice, students, for example, a lot of them are quite overwhelmed by that. And they don't make necessarily better decisions yeah. because they've got more options. They sometimes make worse decisions. And I feel that's the same for me as a photographer, that actually I, I kind of work at my best when I'm kind of constrained by whether it's like a material constraint or cost constraint. because I think that those limitations force you, again, to be more, hopefully, more creative, you know, even if that means you have to sit around for a while, kind of working out how you're going to do something. In the end, um, you know, often you come to a conclusion that's like, um, you know, you come to a simple conclusion rather than a, Completely overcomplicated one. I don't basically I don't like overcomplicated books. I like yeah. complicated content, but not complicated yeah. books. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and I, well, that's it. It's a nice, it's a nice, very simple, structured format for a book which which works well. And it, it's then it's then up to the individual who is putting their content in yeah. to to create the interest, to create something different to to grab people's attention, as you okay. say, without ne- without necessarily having to go to something that's really super duper fancy, albeit there are examples where where such format does does work does work quite well, but yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I think the f- the fewer choices that we have, it then leads you as the as the artist to to think more in terms of how am I going to best represent my work without having twenty different paper choices hmm. and ten different paper weights to pick from. All you do is think, oh, right. I wonder, is a should it be a hundred and fifty or a hundred and seventy or a hundred and ninety? What do I, and you think? it's probably just unnecessary. just a selection. Yeah.
1: Of... I mean, to use a course to, uh, term, I think it's often a bit like polishing a turd, you know, yes. I mean, <laughs> like if it's a good project, it's going to be a good project, whether you stick it in a cheap format or not. I mean, there are a few projects, a few books that I've come across over the years where actually the complexity really made sense and it really was justified. But I'd say there's such, there's such a minority and so often it's a project where you actually, to me at least, you think, this would be more understandable and more interesting if it didn't have all of this kind of uh, these kind of bells and whistles attached to it. You could just actually focus on the work itself and not have this stuff that, Mm. because I think the thing is like complicated design choices sometimes actually really get in the way of the work. They don't necessarily, I mean, if it's very well done, they can enhance it, but I'd say more often than not, it does the opposite. You know, it gets in the way between the viewer and the thing that the work is trying to talk about.
0: Yeah. And in in terms of... before you start working on any of your zines or any of your books, have you generally completed the projects or is it something, and I, I obviously sometimes projects, you maybe go in thinking, right, this I want this to be a zine or I want this to be a book. Sometimes it comes halfway through projects. It's something is maybe at the end. So how, how do you kind of work around it? Do you start maybe thinking about the concept and ideas as you're shooting the project or, or, or how, how does that
1: work? I know it'll vary from project to project um i often start thinking about publications quite early on actually right. because sometimes sometimes again the decision that a project is going to be a publication starts to shape the project and starts to shape yeah. some of the decisions you make um like that might be in terms of the kind of material you collect but also in terms of the way you're thinking about structuring the material yeah but also sometimes early on you try you experiment with the idea of a, a project being a book and it just doesn't make sense so I find it it's quite useful I definitely don't wait until the project's done to start thinking about that kind of stuff and I mean you can't see it partly because I guess this is audio only but also because it's not visible on my um, webcam but I mean like on the wall um, just to my right there's a huge diagram of a project I'm working on at the moment about offshore finance and I've been working on it for about four years and You know, initially, yeah, I experimented a lot with the idea that it would be a book. And um, all those experiments led me to was the conclusion that it just didn't make sense as a book. You know, the subject matter, if you put it into the format of a book, that that puts a certain way of reading the material that doesn't make sense for what the project's trying to say. So, yeah. So I think it's always useful to experiment, but also not to be like too attached to any particular format. Mm
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think not not everything works as a book, and not everything works in in, in an exhibition style format either. Mm-hmm. E- everything goes. Everything has its uh, has a better way of doing it. Um, and I suppose all of that comes into the curation of of work in terms of how how you want to present it, but also how you want to present the narrative behind the story. I, totally. As you as you say, sometimes you the narrative works very nicely, and you can get the narrative to work through the flow of a book, but actually not everything does work like that.
1: Totally. I mean, books impose, you know, like all media, all kind of formats yeah. impose like certain narrative structures. They they allow certain narrative structures and they prevent others. You know, yeah. like cinema is a really obvious example. Films, most films, like just putting aside kind of experimental uh, weird ones, <laughs> impose <laughs> like a very specific structure where events follow each other, right, from start yeah. to end um you know and books are the same they have in some ways more flexibility more potential for breaking that kind of structure and doing different things with it but they're still ultimately a kind of constraining format so it's kind of as you say absolutely sometimes it's a question of does the format fit the kind of narrative I'm trying to create here and I mean like in terms of this um offshore project one of the things the project is kind of about is um It's about the relationship between the offshore and the onshore and like the idea that you can only have these we talk about these offshore kind of like tax havens but really these places only make uh legal and financial sense because they always have a very close relationship to like an onshore location in the case of this project about jersey and the channel islands and the city of london yeah and so It doesn't really make sense in terms of the project to begin to say this is the beginning, like we begin in Jersey and then we go to London or we begin in London, we go to Jersey. You know, to have that kind of linear narrative doesn't make sense because, in a way, with this project, there are multiple points where you can begin the story. And so, you know, although you could try and work that idea into a book, it doesn't, you'd be fighting against the format of what a book is, if you see what I mean.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well that, that that's it and I think it's for is for every individual artist to know wh- when it does work and when it doesn't and um as opposed to trying to force the issue then then experiment and look for another another medium and another output for that particular project. Exactly. And and how, how do you how do you approach your curation process? Um, I can imagine you must build up quite a body of work for certain projects that then has to be <sighs> Not narrowed down, as you say. if you if you take a Peckham Gothic, when you you must have had so many photographs of your <laughs> of your mum, and it's then how 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 do you get down to the process of of the ones that you want to include in, in in all projects, really?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's always it's always different in the sense that I think again, it's always wedded to that idea of what the narrative is, what the kind of yep. st- the structure so- is, or the. Or if you want to think of it another way what the kind of path is that you're taking a viewer or reader along um or maybe you're not taking them along a given path and you're giving them autonomy to choose their own paths um i mean but with like something like and gothic that's relatively straightforward because it's a very simple narrative it's just like you know Mm -hmm. trying to kind of gradually build this sense of slight um yeah gothic gloom and dread or you know whatever but and actually the number of pictures I had to choose from you know weren't that many so you know it, it was trying to do it without being overly like repetitive. I didn't want it just to be a load of pictures of my mum looking miserable. You yeah. <laughs> know so um but again that's I find that really satisfying. I love a project where actually you don't have you know infinite just, possibilities yes. where you have a fixed set of images or you yep. know a pool of images that you then have to kind of make something from because again it demands yeah. i think more creativity and it also gets you out of that kind of thing that at least i definitely am guilty of of just kind of thinking endlessly like i'll just kick the can down the road i'll do some more these projects yeah project. yep. um so i'm just finishing a book that's almost entirely using archival material from two historic rocket projects Boond. and that's a really kind of nice example for me both because it's a project that very like definitely uses the format of the way a book works for its kind of narrative effect yep um, but also because you're working with two archives so it's like okay I can't travel back in time and produce more yep. material for this you know what I've got in front of me is what the story has to be told with yeah so um, yeah, for me that's always a lot of fun. I don't know how much it hopefully it translates then to overlooks the book eventually. Um, what's yeah. kind of gone on there?
0: Yeah, I, I think it, I think it's a really interesting point in terms of working on a working on a project where the the material has been shot and there's there's nothing you can change about it. You can't add more to it because you can't replicate the same same conditions or the same experience or the same environment that you were in at that given time and actually you you then the the challenge is right how how does how does the narrative get told and how do you work with the body of images that you've got to best present and you might be presenting a very different narrative than than you kind of photographed or shot a a shot shot that shot the time that your emotional your your emotions of of making the work at the time might now vary from how the emotional narrative is that you're you're trying to portray to, to the viewer.
1: I mean that's also a classic problem for photographers especially working with their own images is that inability to kind of distance themselves from okay. you know the experience of making the images compared to what you know a kind of anonymous audience is going to understand from them and yeah I mean like I feel like if I had a pound for every time I had to kind of talk again I mean that it's understandable I think we all make these mistakes when we're beginning but the number of times I've again had to kind of take a student side and kind of talk about this and and kind of show them get them to realize that they're bringing kind of baggage to an image that I don't have because I'm not you know how could I I wasn't there I don't know what (laughs) they know so I think yeah it's one of the things you've always got to also be very kind of cautious of as a photographer is how much um know how much kind of contextual knowledge you have about something how much emotional baggage you have about something and and thinking really kind of clearly about how much of that needs to be then related on to the viewer sometimes it's really important that you put across the same kind of emotional baggage that you have yeah Uh, sometimes that has to be kind of eliminated or you know hidden
0: Yeah, and I th- I think it also comes to the Im-, Im the particular image selection as well. I think you see very vari- various people who might have a particular favorite image or two. And it's the the first big challenge is being able to ditch them when you know fine well that they don't work in the project, as opposed to clinging on until yeah. you until you hand it to your your fifth friend to take Perfect. a look, who who tells you for the fifth time that image doesn't work, and you're saying really can can I not just make this image work? And it's I suppose it's all it's all part of the curation process. And as you say, I think I think there's sometimes that the the emotional story. That there is the emotional connection and it adds something to the value. But I think it's it's understanding where where the boundaries kind of lie. And that for me sometimes also that might be a, an afterword in terms of a bit of text at the back. So actually you you as as the viewer you you look through the images and you're forming your own story, your own opinion. But then, yeah, the, the aftermath follows in terms of right. This is, this is the, the emotional connection as as opposed to necessarily being told about that straight up front, which then perhaps influences or 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 determines a different path that you would take through that body
1: of work. I think also, um, just going back to something else you said, like I think there's there's also real um tendency even with people who kind of see themselves like documentary photographers like not to let what's the phrase um not to let the facts get in the way of a good story if you know what I mean so and and there's definitely that temptation when you have an amazing image that doesn't quite do what you think it's doing what you know what you hope it's doing or it actually doesn't quite represent what you hope it represents to try and shoehorn it in sometimes just in a way that doesn't make much sense in a book, but sometimes in a way that's actually kind of misleading. And I mean, like, again, with this archive project, there's so much of the material that I was looking at was actually misattributed in one way or another. And I had a lot of help from um, a historian at Smithsonian who's a specialist on uh, one of these rocket projects. And there were a couple of times where there were images that I just wanted in the book so badly, (laughs) but actually had been misattributed, didn't show what they appeared to show, and, you know, I don't know for me, maybe this again reflects the background I've come from, but, you know, I think the idea of publishing a book we knowingly had something in it and wasn't actually what it appeared to be, it just sends shivers down my spine. But right. again, it seems to be, I, I feel like there are a lot of people who aren't bothered by that. You know, I've come across projects certainly where things are not what they seem. And, you know, I have just maybe just know that because I've also done work in the same area. Yeah, and you know, you have that feeling that actually the photographer probably knows that too, but they haven't been able to resist putting this in um, because they yeah. think it's too good to let go.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that that's it, and it's it's always it's always a, I think a challenge for people, and yeah, I think maybe people, people de- take different perspectives, and I think it's also maybe how it is how it is represented, and if you're not trying to shy away from what it is, then then fine. But I think when you're putting something, particularly into a printed form you're unless you're putting a note underneath saying this does not represent what it actually shows <laughs> then then it's setting a narrative people are people would naturally assume that what they're seeing is is is, is what forms part of the story um mm-hmm. and in terms of in terms of your work going forward i know you're i know you're obviously maybe moving away from zines perhaps is do you still see publications as being a big part of your work or how, how that might change in the future
1: I mean, so yeah, I'm kind of winding up doing zines for now. I like, yeah. never say I'm never going to go back. No, to
0: them. Absolutely,
1: but you know, it's partly that like, I've done quite a few. I don't have any projects at the moment I really want to do as a zine. Yeah, I've also started to get the basically the rep of being that weird zine guy, and it's like you know, there's <laughs> such a small part of my practice in a yeah. way that. I'm like actually okay I don't want to I don't want (laughs) to encourage that anymore um but also I have to say actually just generally with publications it's become like harder and harder because because of things like um Brexit you know now with the cost of living crisis and just the general cost of everything crisis yeah um so I'm also like just thinking well you know I've done quite a few projects that made sense to be um Books, but i've got quite a few now in progress that don't necessarily i've got at least yep. two now that just there's no way they make sense as a book so it's kind of like a logical point and because i also want to kind of experiment with other formats it's a really logical point just to say okay you know gonna stop doing publications for a while now i think also you you know once you've done a few um you know they become it becomes more straightforward in a way and you you lose i guess the kind of there's a certain thrill to like the first book yeah. you do or thrill yeah. slash kind of terror <laughs> yes, um, yeah. i would, I would say know. terror
0: more than thrill
1: yeah yeah <laughs> so i think um i don't want to get to the point where i'm just like you know you see some people who really just churn books out again not necessarily maybe yeah. some of them are very good but some of them just feel a bit like um, by the numbers and again i never want to get to that kind of point so yeah, for all of those kind of reasons, I just feel like um I've had a good, a good kind of 10 years of doing publications. So, yeah. again, as I said, I've got this kind of like weird roadmap for the next 10 years. And most of the things I want to do in that time, they're just not a moment looking logically like the projects. But, yeah. you know, never say never. I mean, something might come along where it just suddenly makes sense.
0: I, absolutely! I think everyone always has to be open to open to exploring something new and something different. But but yeah, as you say, I, I know what you mean. It's like that when you when you do your first first publication, be it even just a small zine, even if it's just half a dozen copies for you and your family. There's still the there's still I would say, as you say, the thrill, of bleak terror probably more than the mm-hmm. earn on terror. In terms of have you got it set up correctly? Have you got the color format and and everything like that done? And when it comes back, have you got the bleed correct? Our images gonna be chopped off. What's it actually going to look like? Whereas when when you but at the same time for then the second and third publications you're doing, you begin to develop and grow and you learn from every experience. How 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 have you found that process of? of going from one zine to another or publication to publication in terms of just developing your skill set and knowledge of of pulling a project together in the book format.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely, obviously, you, you uh, like as I'm sure you've found, you know, you kind of, you learn, you gather all this knowledge about stuff like design and printing. And um, so it becomes less stressful and less fraught. You know, you, you learn all the things you need to talk to a printer about that when you begin, you've just got no idea and you just kind of, <laughs> So, I mean, in a way, it seems, it seems rash in a way to be like, okay, just, to, just when I got to the point where I've got all this knowledge, I'm going to stop doing it. But I've always been a bit like that. I mean, I think for me, often the fun with something is the the learning process and getting a grip on it. And actually, I've never been that interested in being, um, I guess, like an expert in anything. Yeah, you yeah. Know? I think I feel like once you reach that, mm-hmm. not that I'm an expert now, but I you mean, know, what I mean is I feel once you reach a kind of. That higher level, in a way, it becomes innately less thrilling and yes. less fun to do. And so then there's this instinct for me always to kind of change tack. And, you know, I guess there's an element of that in all of my projects and the subject matter as well. That yeah. sometimes I just think it's ridiculous. You know, I spend like four years working on a project about something very specific like, I mean, God, the amount of stuff, garbage, I could tell you about um, kind of like complex tax evasion schemes. And <laughs> then you finish the project and you move on. And, you know, yeah. all that knowledge is kind of like... Finished. Yeah. So, I mean, it's uh, it sounds very counterintuitive and very like a waste of effort, but I, I, I enjoy that way of working, actually, weirdly. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah it, sound, it sounds a very interesting, uh, sounds a really interesting fascinating way of working. And I suppose it could be it, it's very intense for a period of time, and, and then and then, as the project comes to its natural conclusion, it's, right, well, actually, I need to now move on to the next project. So all oh, this is basically a brain dump. And mm. and then, right, refill it with with the next subject matter that I now need to to research, understand, develop, and, and be able to produce work for.
1: Totally, yeah.
0: And how, how do you find uh, with combining text, into your work as well is is that an important bit i see a lot of people who maybe hum and haw about putting text into books or text into words or writing about the work yeah. so i'm always interested just to see different perspectives in terms of the importance and and and, and whether it's something that, that you're interested in
1: yeah i mean definitely in my book kind of projects yep. um the zines tend to be quite light yep. on text But definitely my book projects. And I mean, a big part of that is, again, I just think a lot of photographers have a totally unrealistic idea about what images are able to communicate. Yeah. And, you know, images work in very interesting and specific ways, particularly when it comes to kind of, um, you know, like kind of ironically, both ambiguity on the one hand about meaning, but also they can be very specific. You know, they are very specific in terms of what they show. They're very descriptive. But I feel like a lot of photographers, um, yeah, they're not kind of prepared somehow to confront the things that images can't do. And again, uh, you know, I'm sure you've had this experience where you look at a book project and it's just there's just something missing because the photographers kind of relied or hoped too much that the images were doing something which they weren't. So, I mean, yeah, a lot of my book projects, again, partly also because they're very research intensive. Yes. And again, they're also usually about things where I feel the stakes are quite high. So I feel like in a way it would be um, kind of almost irresponsible to just put it on the images. There needs to be the clarity that only words can kind of give you. So I mean, like the the space project I'm just finishing or I'm just about to publish um, is about like the origins of um, like basically the origins of modern space exploration during the Holocaust. Yeah. And it's about the idea that uh, technologies obviously aren't neutral, but they actually absorb the kind of uh, politics of their environments, their politics of the places where they get created and developed and used. And so it's about the idea that, you know, when you look at space exploration today, you can still find traces of basically the politics of Nazi Germany um, in it. And and not just Nazi Germany, going even back before that to the imperial era. Um, You know, that's quite a complicated idea. So the idea that I would just let the images say that, uh, you know, the images alone wouldn't be able to say that. It's only when you have the text that then then is also drawing things out of the images um, that then hopefully that kind of idea begins to emerge. Yeah. and yeah, and I mean, again, also, there are lots of things that, that just aren't images to illustrate them, you know, ideas that they just can't be illustrated with photography in one way or another, whether because it's, again, historic, or it's something that is not actually, it's not possible to photograph it um, convincingly, so... So that book actually ends with a like twenty thousand word essay, which you know, to be honest, I don't know how many people will actually bother to read it. But to me, it's really important that it's in there because it it does spell out this, and I think make much more convincing this idea that um, technologies are like um, like artifacts almost, or like you can you can kind of dig into a technology and find the legacies of the past.
0: Yeah. in the way that technology is designed and used yeah 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 well i i must say the more you talk about the project the more i'm, I'm looking forward to to seeing it and uh thanks yeah it, it sounds really it sounds really really fascinating and really interesting um and i'm very interested to see how you combine the the, the series of images particularly from 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 the archive aspect of it um Given yeah, you yeah, know, given you're kind of working around a set a set of images that you've got no flexibility to to kind of create and there's still there's still a very strong message and, and, and narrative to be told as well. Um, and I, I think a lot of photographers and artists maybe struggle sometimes to write about their work. Um, so it's it's always really interesting to see when someone writes about it very well. And, and where it really adds value and, and adds a, a great context to, to the work that you're looking at that you wouldn't get if, if you just look through the body of work. And as you say, when you're talking about some very important or uh, subject matters, then I, I think there, there is there is a real requirement to have, to have that context given so that there's no dubiety between the kind of the story that you're you're taking, and someone can't just go off at a total different tangent and think, yeah, you no, know, that yeah, that this is not. I, I I view this as being something else, and actually, the text really just says, well, you might think that, but this is the this is the context and the story behind the work from my perspective.
1: I mean, it's kind of a tragedy. I think that photographers, so many photographers, are like um, afraid or resistant or in other ways, just don't like writing about their work because, yeah. I mean, actually, I think. My experience again talking like in classes for example to photographers all the time about their work because a lot of people can explain their work really brilliantly and really interestingly yeah and I just feel like it's a shame to deny that to <clears throat> you know, obviously it depends on the kind of work you're making and there are people who make work where it's all about the lack of explanation it's yep. about the kind of mysteriousness of images and the interpretation but especially in the kind of realm that I work in which is really kind of documentary photography yes. of the sort yeah I just feel like often the stakes in the in work are so high that I just don't understand why you would you not. know deny that explanation yeah. um so yeah I guess it's my call to photographers not to not to stress about writing just to do it
0: yep absolutely well it's, it's been wonderful talking to you about your own books, but what I'm also interested in, what I enjoy hearing about, is what are uh, some of my guests' favorite photo books from their own collections. So it'd be wonderful if you could share uh, four or five of four or five of your favorites. And I know favorites change from a day to day basis, depending on what you're maybe looking at. But we've got to start somewhere, and I don't know. I don't want a list of hundred books that I've got to go out and try <laughs> and find to buy or add to my own collection. Yeah,
1: basically. So, um, yeah, I mean, these were just basically the five that came to mind yep. straight away. So, I mean, yeah, they're definitely, it's definitely not an exclusive list. But yes. some of them are books that I just really admire, that I think are like brilliantly conceived and cool. done. Some of them are books that were kind of like influential on me at different points. So, I mean, maybe starting with one of those, um, I think it was almost one of the first photo books I came across when I didn't even really understand the idea of a thing being a photo book. Um, but it's Tim Harrington's book about the civil War in Liberia, um long story bit by bit. Um, which is just it's just um kind of like a fantastically both in-depth but also not overwhelming book. Yeah. Um, it's it's very clever because it, I mean, in terms of narrative, again, it's very clever because it really juxtaposes different stages in liberia's recent history so both the kind of run-up to the civil war the civil war or multiple civil wars and then the kind of aftermath and the peace building um but it's just very kind of clever in the way it connects these different periods um and i mean also the, the photography is amazing but that to me is almost less important than what it does um, in terms of the way it draws links between um seemingly again events that'd be very easy to kind of not link. Yeah. And so yeah, I mean it was produced, it was the result of like, I think about 10 years that having mm-hmm. spent in Liberia. And you can really feel I think the the kind of depth of knowledge um, and the kind of connection in some ways to the place. It's given the history of you know white European uh, men going off to photograph wars in places like Africa. Um, I feel like it manages largely to really kind of avoid what is very kind of, you know, treacherous ground in a sense, partly Mm -hmm. because it's not, it's not really war reporting. Again, it's, it's almost like more about asking the question, how does the war begin? And then also how does it end? The war itself is not really actually a very big part of the book. Yep. Cool. Um, So... I think the thing that unifies a lot of the things I've chosen is I think they have all have amazing depth to them. So another one that I really admire is Nina Berman's book, um, An Autobiography of Miss Wish, um, which is like one of those projects where the photographer plays quite a big part. It's about a woman that... Um, I haven't actually looked at it for a few years, so right. I used to get out, so some of this may not be right off the money, but it's about a woman that uh, Berman met in London who basically um was uh, i think homeless at the time had a series of like m- mental health problems and had been um both like uh, a drug user but also a victim of like sexual abuse and the project is it's kind of about her um and it's it goes into a lot of detail it doesn't really pull any punches it feels again very like collaborative there are a lot of projects that say they're collaborative but you can really feel that actually they're not yeah, just seized on that because it's a it's a kind of trendy thing yeah. to say that it's a collaborative <laughs> project but Miss Wish it really feels like they've worked very closely on it oh. but it's also interesting because of the nature of um the woman that Berman's working with there's also always the sense that you can't it's quite hard often to disinter how much of it is actually true how much of it's related to her mental health problems yeah um so yeah, it's it's a really again fascinating, clever, um, very powerful moving book. Okay. Um and kind of another one, recent one, quite similar subject matter, in the sense it's also about um sexual abuse in a way, um, which isn't like a, a kind of interest of mine, <laughs> for instance, but is um Adams' Adams's book Um Big Fence, which is about Pitcairn Island. Um this tiny island in the, I think it's in the South Atlantic, or maybe mid-Atlantic. And it was it was basically the island where the uh, mutineers of the bounty um, wound up after they had yeah, mutine- mutinied and taken over the ship. And so it's an island with a very small population, tiny, like I think a ha- handful of families. But then it became the centre of this huge um, uh, kind of sexual abuse scandal that right. actually ended up seeing like a really, like crazily large proportion of the men on the island being sentenced, sent to prison. I'm sure I Um, remember
0: reading something about this. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a really really shocking story, but it's also kind of fascinating because it's also like a really interesting study. The book itself is also a study of the island, and I suppose in a way it's a study of what can happen in very small, closed communities um, anywhere, not just you don't have to be on an island to be like this, you know, it can happen anywhere if you have a group of people where you know there are power imbalances um you know where there's again this very small kind of population yeah but it's also bucking what I said before it's also materially really complex book um and it's one of the few books like that where actually I looked at it and thought this book totally needs that and benefits from it and it's not just like a kind of over the top um yeah um Lost to um, War Primer by Bertolt Brecht. Kind of, it's a book that um, had a big influence on me, both in the way I work with photography and think about it, but also then made a book that was a kind of reference back to War Primer. Um, and again, I think it's it's just a book that's very clever and superficially there's not much in it, but it's actually an incredibly deep yep. book. Um, so it's it's images of the Second World War that Brecht is then kind of analysing through poetry and producing these short poems that are meant to draw out the kind of um, the real events or the real kind of ideology behind those images. And although I totally am not a Brecht fanboy, Brecht is completely like a dislikable person in lots of ways. I still think it's completely brilliant. And it's one of those kind of weird situations where you have someone you don't really like, but you do like their work (laughs) or or some of their work. Yes, yep. And um, yeah, just last of all, I guess the most in depth probably of these projects is um, Rob Hornström and Arnold Van Bruggen's The Sochi Project, which is, um, you know, kind of in some ways quite a straight piece of documentary photography about the Russian uh, 2014 Sochi Olympic Games. But actually, it's not really about the Games at all. It's about everything going on around them. It's about the, the region around Sochi, yep. um, which in Rob's words is like a subtropical war zone. Uh, so yes. it's like <laughs> yeah. the sheer insanity of holding your Olympic, Winter Olympic Games in a subtropical war zone. Yeah. So the book is about, um, it's like an encyclopedia. It's huge. Right. The book all is cool. about the kind of, um, you know, human rights abuses, the politics of the region, the history. Um, but I also think it's just a book that gets more and more relevant with age because, you know, again, just looking back through its pages and looking what's happening now with Russia, it's so hard to say, you know, the signs weren't there, that this was a, you know, Putin's regime was a regime we shouldn't be doing business with. Yes. So I think, you know, it also illustrates that thing that, A project can be very of a particular moment, but actually some projects also really kind of mature with time. Um, And I think that's one of the great things about books is they can sit around and, you know, they can undergo that kind of maturing process.
0: yeah, Over a period of time. And yeah, they just take on a different different context entirely. Totally. Fantastic selections there, Lewis. Yeah, a great a great variety. Um, a couple I'm I'm certainly going to be having a wee look for online afterwards. I dare say some of them are probably quite hard to find, but it's always really nice from my perspective to be able to hear different backgrounds, different interests and and different styles of work that actually are, are really interesting because as as for everyone, there's only so many photographers, publishers, books that you can know about. So actually, it's it's a great way to be able to open your eyes to to different different approaches that people people take to their work. Um, and it's been it's been a real pleasure, a real privilege to be able to speak to you this morning about your own work um, and your own projects as well, Lewis. So thank thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure.
1: Yeah, it's been great. Thanks so much, yeah.
0: Cheers.